Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in our virtual studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. We are your hosts, Ron Beard and Liz Graves, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And a reminder that we're recording this show in advance and won't be taking any calls today. I'm going to turn it over to Liz Graves to introduce our guests and our topic. Our guests today are Peter Osborne, Director of Educational Services for the Maine Municipal Association, and Rebecca Dancero, Career Center Consultant for the Maine Apprenticeship Program at the Maine Department of Labor. We're talking today about hometown careers and apprenticeships. There are, um, are and will be many, many vacancies in municipalities in Maine, the, the many, many municipalities in Maine. Um, there are retirements and there is turnover always. Um, and as everyone knows, Maine uh, has a high median age. Um, and what um, the Maine Municipal Association has a program has had an outreach program called Hometown Careers to encourage Maine students and early career career folks to consider public sector work. Now, this could seem like sort of a niche topic, but every inter- resident of Maine has an interest in making sure her town can find enough highway crew to plow the roads or clerks to register their cars and code officers and so on. So that's our focus today, hometown careers. Um, excited to speak with for a, for a conversation with this group. But with me today, with Peter and Rebecca, is my co-host, Ron. And we'll jump right in. Um, let's start with you, Peter. From the very beginning, we'll unwind what I what I just went into. What is what is the Maine Municipal Association first? Yes, absolutely. So I'm so happy to be with you this morning, Liz and Ron. Um, and thanks for the invitation. Um, so as Liz mentioned, I'm from the Maine Municipal Association, and MMA is uh, a nonprofit, nonpartisan. Uh, voluntary membership organization um, that provides a wide ver- array of professional services uh, to Maine's municipalities. Um, our services really uh, kind of run the gamut from self-funded insurance programs to training and education uh, to legal and personnel advisory services, communications, legislative advocacy. Um, and we serve virtually all of the municipalities across the state of Maine um, and are very excited to be celebrating our, our 87th year. And you've got a you've got a conference coming up, um, your annual conference coming up. Um, it's always a great um, opportunity for municipal officials, volunteers, and and those who have been elected and so on um, to come together and and uh, kind of do professional development. Um, maybe we'll, towards the end we'll get back into that and talk a little bit about that. Great. Yes. Yes, we sure do, Ron. Yeah. That would be fun. So, so what is the what was the hometown careers effort, and what is its past and maybe future? Sure. So, Liz, I think as you mentioned before, uh, it's no secret that 
the entire state is facing some workforce challenges in terms of supply of workers. Um, you know, it's 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 really a numbers game, right? There are more people leaving the workforce than are entering the workforce across the state. Um, if you actually look at some of the demographic data uh, comparing the private sector workforce in the state compared to the state and local government workforce, uh, the state and local government workforce actually tends to have about a 10% uh, higher uh, percentage of workers over the age of 55 and about 10% lower proportion of workers under the age of 45. So, I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. And those are statistics actually from the Department of Labor um, Center for Workforce Research that I've reviewed recently. Um, so I think it just, it, I think it drives home the point that some of the demographic changes that are affecting all employers in the state are going to be especially acute um, for state and local government uh, work uh, workforce. So uh, in about 2017, 2018, the MMA Executive Committee um, kind of saw this coming down the pike, if you will, and decided that we should take an active role in starting to promote municipal careers, um, both to, I think, younger people entering the workforce, but also folks who might be thinking of relocating to the state of Maine. Um, as well as people who are looking to make career changes. Um, so we're trying to kind of tap into those folks who may be in some state of transition and get them thinking about working in their hometown. Uh, so it began as actually a, a kind of a media campaign. Um, there, there is a website that serves kind of as the foundation of the whole program, mainhometowncareers.org. Um, and on that website, you can find, um, a number of videos of an, of municipal officials uh, at work and their different occupations in different parts of the state. You can also access some informational materials about, you know, if I want to be a town or city clerk, what training does that require? If I want to be a code enforcement officer, how do I get into that role? Um, and additionally, it links to the MMA Job Bank, uh, which is um, kind of the, the go-to resource for uh, jobs in Maine's towns and cities. Um, at the time, it, there was also a component of a social media campaign, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, things like that. We have um, pivoted a little bit to start thinking about what do the next phases of this uh, program look like. And so when I when we talk about main hometown careers, I kind of see that as the umbrella term for MMA's kind of workforce development and recruitment um, efforts. And so we're actually in the midst of, uh, we just recently launched an advisory council for the association. And one of their main focus areas for the coming year is figuring out and making some recommendations for what does the next phase of, of the main hometown careers program look like? Um, it's still very much, you know, it's certainly one of the number one issues um, that the association and our members are constantly thinking about and trying to come up with solutions. Um, you know, we're in the, we're trying to think of some short-term uh, solutions, but also thinking about this as a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when the in the laps that have been have been completed in the what for the media campaign, um, the folks that that were interviewed and featured on the videos and things, what were the common themes and in, in what they said about what why they love their jobs? Yes, absolutely. Um, 
and actually, Liz, I might turn this back on you as official. <laughs> but you know, I think some of the commonalities, and we have videos from police officers, uh, paramedics, town clerks, town managers, code enforcement officers, uh, wastewater in, uh, treatment individuals. I think the common themes are that people identify with the opportunity to uh, be in a role with purpose. Um, you know, I think that's a real driving force for a lot of the folks who serve uh, in municipal government in the state. I think there's also a real strong draw to serving their communities, um, to public service. I think the folks in these roles have a real genuine desire to better their communities and to uh, to make better their surroundings and really improve the, the lives of the folks who live in their towns and cities. And then one of the other common themes is that municipal employment offers um, a number of benefits, uh, both tangible and intangible, that just aren't available in the private sector. Uh, traditionally, municipal employment has been really well known for excellent health coverage and uh, vacation, paid time off, retirement benefits, things like that. But we're also seeing an emergence of uh, new types of benefits, such as some municipalities moving to four-day work weeks or um, looking at different ways to offer flexibility to employees. Um, so those are just a couple of the different themes that we you can see if you go and watch some of those videos on mainhometowncareers.org. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I, I love hearing about um, the, the people potentially moving moving to the state or changing career tracks entirely. That's a, that's a common story, too, and one that I hadn't considered um, in this conversation. Well, great. Oh, I'm going to switch over to our other guest. Welcome, Becky. And tell us your your story, how you got connected into being being an advocate for apprenticeships. And we'll we'll be able to tie this into to the conversation to date. What what is an apprenticeship in the way you've been working with them? Um, So thank you for inviting me today. so I, I just want to give you a little background on myself yeah. and how I ended up um, in registered apprenticeship working for the Department of Labor. Um, I was um, an educator for a lot of years. So I have about worked in education for about 20 years. And in what what grade, what age? Uh, elementary school. OK. Yeah. Um, I worked in one program for 10 years that um existed basically to get kids interested in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, it was a great hands-on program. Um, but after a while, you know, I was, it was, I was getting a little tired. Um, so I wanted to change gears and, and, um, you know, it was kind of funny talking about STEM and promoting STEM to people at the elementary level. Um, we always included, you know, the trades as well, because they are STEM programs, you know, plumbing, electrical, construction, um, all of them. So anyway, um, I was looking around and I ended up um, applying for it. And I just came from Vermont. So I ended up applying, applying for um, the Vermont apprenticeship program. Um, because I saw that, uh, you know, they work with Creek curriculum, excuse me, um, employers and employees, which are the employer's apprentices. And that really interested me since I had a lot of experience with curriculum. Um, and 
you know, working with students, um, even at the elementary school level, I know not all students, you know, learn through, um, you know, lecture and books. Um, a lot of them, they really need the hands-on experience in order to learn. Um, so anyway, they, they hired me. And so I worked um, in Vermont for the uh, registered apprenticeship program there through the Department of Labor for seven years. And I just moved here to Maine uh, the end of February. And they hired me right away because um, of my experience, you know, over in Vermont. So I'm thrilled to be here working for the Maine registered apprenticeship now. Um, so that answers your question, hopefully, about my background. Um, and so a lot of my experience is working with employers, as I said, and their employees, which are their apprentices. Um, and so let me just explain what registered apprenticeship is. Um, Great. A lot, of, a lot of people have heard about apprenticeship, um, but I think, you know, people out there probably have not heard about registered apprenticeship. And what that means is the employer the business actually registered their business with the state, um, with the main apprenticeship program, um, which is under the Department of Labor. And so it's a registered apprenticeship is an employer-sponsored training program. It's their program that they create. They work with us. Um, they come up with a curriculum outline um, for, you know, how the hands-on training for their employee, um, which they register as their apprentice, um, what kind of training they're going to have on the job under a trade qualified um, supervisor. And they also come up with, you know, where is the apprentice going to um, take classes to get the theoretical knowledge that goes hand in hand with the on-the-job paid training that they're getting under a mentor. Um, so it's, again, it's their program and what they're doing is just registering it with us. So we are the registration agency um, and we kind of help them. We act as, um, you know, a technical supervisor um, to assist them if they have questions on, you know, how to set up their program, how to run it. Um, and then, you know, periodically we um, have a chat with them just to see how it's going and see if they need anything. So. That's basically uh, what registered apprenticeship is in a nutshell. It's um, employer an employer trained program um, that has on the job paid training um, and classes that go hand in hand with the OJT. And the apprentices are are paid employees from day one. So, what kind of businesses have participated? Uh, well, we have, uh, there's all kinds of occupations out there. If you go to um, Main Apprenticeship and look that up, um, and it'll bring you to our website. We have a whole list of all the occupations um, that are uh, apprenticeships out there. Um, I, I was looking for the numbers. Um, our team just came up with numbers yesterday. And before I jumped on this call, I, I, I my apologies. <laughs> Um, right now, I believe we're right around 1,300 apprentices across the state. Um, I can't tell you how many occupations off the top of my head, uh, but we have it lifted, listed on our website. Again, that's, you know, if you were to just type in main apprenticeship, um, it'll pop up for you in the uh, search window. 
I think I remember seeing in maybe it was a promotional video that say um, some food service and hospitality industry jobs for sure. We have a lot of those in Maine. Those are included. Absolutely. Um, we, yep, we where do students do the the academic component? Is that the community college system generally or is it all um, over? Um, yeah, that's a nice question to ask. Um, they can take um, it's however the employer has it set up. The employer is the sponsor for the program. Um, so some sponsors send their uh, apprentices to take classes through the community college system. Um, some actually the classes are online. Um, so it all depends on where um, the classes uh, where they can find a good fit to go with their on-the-job paid training that they want um, the apprentice to learn. Um, so like for construction, you know, they can, um, there's an online class that they can take, um, lots of online classes. They also are taking classes through the community college system. Um, of course, you know, there's also in-house classes. Uh, so an employer can set up their own classes in-house. Um, if they have a trade qualified mentor to teach the classes um, and they get credit, you know, for those particular classes to go yeah. towards their apprenticeship. Okay, more on this in a second. But first, if you're just joining us, I'll tell you, you're listening to WRU Community Radio. I'm Liz Graves here with my co-host Ron Beard on the Talk of the Towns. We're talking today about hometown careers and apprenticeships with Peter Osborne from the Maine Municipal Association and Rebecca Densero, who works with the apprenticeship program with the Maine Department of Labor. Um, Be Becky, let so, me, let me yeah. um, ask if you've got an example either from Maine or from Vermont of, of an employer that you just really liked working with and what was their experience like in bringing apprentices through their program? Uh, give us a story uh, from the employer side, um, if you could. Um, I, I had a lot of favorite employers over there in Vermont, not going to lie. <laughs> And hopefully I can develop some nice relationships with employers here. I have already. Um, I, I, you know, I the, coming from Vermont, you know, I worked with a lot of the electrical and plumbing employer sponsors. Um, a lot of them I saw over the years really grew their training program. You know, they were willing to invest in their employees, register them as apprentices and their um, workforce really expanded through apprenticeship which was great. Um, and I do have some favorite employers from over there. I'm, I'm working on a, a renovation project here in Maine, a house and a barn. And I've actually invited some of them to, in their spare time, come work on my house with us. <laughs> and some of them, you know, who knows, they may take us up on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have lots of favorites, so hard to say, Ron, but, um, I just have seen over the years that apprenticeship really works. You know, if the employer, again, if they are willing to invest in their workforce um, and and uh, set up a proper training program through registered apprenticeship, you know, they end up with stellar workers that in turn can become mentors and then their workforce can expand. Um, and also, you know, they're just getting just really detailed training. Those apprentices are. Um, who are, again, who are employees. Um, and so they just are, you know, on the road to just a great career pathway. 
Um, there's a lot of people out there, you know, as an educator over the years, again, I just have seen so many kids that, um, you know, they just had tough times sitting, you know, and, and I've talked with high school students too, through the technical centers, um, in Vermont and also here in Maine, there's a lot that just, you know, the college pathway just is not for them. They need to do something with their hands, um, you know, and learn a skill that way. Not everybody is cut out to go down the, the college uh, pathway. And um, I just have seen over the years that apprenticeship is just really nice um, career pathway to um, put people on the road, you know, to, you know, they're earning a wage from day one. And with every registered apprenticeship, um, the sponsor um, has an incremental pay uh, wages, incremental pay increase. So as um, apprentices are, uh, you know, becoming more adept, uh, they're learning the skills and taking the classes, they also get a pay raise. So by the time they're done with that apprenticeship program, you know, like 75% of the way through, um, they're making, you know, 85%, 90% of what a trade qualified mentor's making. And when they complete the apprenticeship program, they're considered a trade qualified um, worker, you know, a, a trade qualified mentor. Um, so they get that pay increase at the end when they complete the apprenticeship. Um, I know if I had to do it all over again, I certainly probably would have looked for an apprenticeship instead of um, spending, you know, those years in college and then having to try to find a job myself. Um, you know, I just really believe in it um, very passionately. This is great. You just used a term that I think ties together um, uh, to the two pieces of this conversation really nicely. If there's, you become a trade qualified um, person who to do what you're doing, whether that's construction or um, food service. Those are the only two examples that I've come up with so far, but construction is a great one. Yeah, I can give you a couple more. I mean, I can okay, list great. off some occupations off the top yeah. of my head. Sure. Um, in, in Vermont, we had police officers, okay. um, which is such a, you know, if they're already going through the criminal justice academy and they're already doing an in-house apprenticeship, I mean, why not, you know, become a registered apprenticeship program? Anyway, so um, I've seen police officers here in Maine. We have cybersecurity um, you had mentioned, you know, hospitality, Liz, um, we have apprenticeships in hospitality. Um, we have construction, of course, electrical, plumbing, HVAC, um, nursing. There's pre-apprenticeship uh, programs um, for medical assistants that are a segue into a registered apprenticeship program. Um, we're trying to work yeah. on coming up with uh, LPN, um, licensed practical nursing apprenticeships here in this state. Um, a educator apprenticeship is one that's really big now in the state. Other states are looking to us. Um, with that, the um, apprentice comes out with an associate's degree and we're working really hard, our team, on um, having that, uh, that apprenticeship keep going so that they, they end up with a bachelor's degree and uh, become okay. a certified teacher. 
It's fascinating to me the interplay between so there's like from the outside what most people outside any given career pathway know about is degrees and possibly licenses and qualifications. But if you have, you know, letters after your name that that somebody outside your field doesn't know what they mean, <laughs> then um, so there's associates, there's community college and associates degree, there's bachelor's degree, there's master's. Um, and then once you're especially um, in these public sector careers that Maine Municipal works with, almost every um, separate role has a certification process. You can become a certified assessor, as our deputy assessor in Bar Harbor just did after not very many months. It was very impressive that she worked super hard and studied and she passed her test. Um, so I'm wondering, Peter, if you could tell us both about that um, sort of outside uh, role of the University of Maine system, both, let me see if I have the names right, at Southern University of Southern Maine is the Muskie School, and up here um, at Orno, there's the Margaret Chase Smith Policy Center, which does still have some some offerings, some internships and things, but neither of them offers either a bachelor or master's in public administration exactly anymore. And so that's one question. The other question is, tell us all about these really robust internal training programs um, run by the associations of the different roles um, mm -hmm. in municipal governments. Yes, for sure. So I think as you alluded to, the, the landscape of higher ed as it pertains to public administration has changed over the past several years. Um, you know, the University of Maine in Orono um, used to be, used to have a very robust uh, bachelor's and master's degree program in public administration. So, you know, you look at a lot of town and city managers in the state and they're graduates of one or both of those programs. Uh, the university system made the decision to eliminate that program about 15 years ago. Um, so currently we have uh, both a bachelor's in public admin and a post-baccalaureate uh, program in public administration at the University of Maine Augusta, which lucky for us is our is our next door neighbor. Um, I mean, it's quite literally a three minute walk from my office to uh, the University of Maine Augusta campus. Um, additionally, the Muskie School of Public Service at the University of Southern Maine has degree programs uh, in what they call MPPM, so the Master of Policy Planning and Management, um, which offers, you know, concentration areas in public management, nonprofit management, um, community city planning, um, some policy things like that. So um, those programs uh, certainly do play a role in preparing municipal officials, but they don't play um, quite the same role that they probably did 20 years ago. Um, and so a lot of the, the um, occupation-specific training um, and kind of general training for municipal officials has fallen to um, uh, either state agencies, if they have if, the, for example, the uh, code enforcement officers uh, still have a very um, uh, organized uh, 
series of trainings that are required for licensure through the state fire marshal's office. Um, but Liz, as you alluded to, a lot of these specific occupations have kind of their own certification programs. Um, so MMA's functions in education and training kind of span two main areas. So the first is um, uh, the trainings that the association provides to members. They tend to be more uh, general and kind of cross-functional area. So, for example, you know, we do quarterly trainings for elected officials. We do trainings for planning boards and boards of appeal. Uh, we also do trainings in municipal budgeting, personnel law, uh, communication and customer service. So these tend to be trainings that are really broadly applicable across a number of uh, municipal occupations. We also are under contract with about a dozen uh, affiliated professional associations. So that would include uh, the main town, city, and county management association, the main town and city clerks, the main assessors, um, the main uh, building officials and inspectors association. And a number of those um, associations actually have their own certification programs and run their own training programs. Um, so through those trainings, you can become a certified assessor. You can become a certified uh, town or city manager. You can become a certified clerk. Um, there are a number of different certifications that are offered through these affiliated associations, some of which are tied to national organizations. So just to just to sort of line up our thinking a little bit, we'll pick on continue to pick on the assessors. Of course, um, if you got a job as an assistant or deputy assessor somewhere and didn't have any experience and you were going to get on the job training, um, how long would it take to go through that um, program? And it, it, it does sound a bit like an apprenticeship because there are classes that you're taking. You're already an employee. You're getting paid. Yep. Um, and while you're at work, you're also taking classes towards your certification. Um yep. Compare that to being in a community college program um, and not yet being an employee. How how long does one or the other take, and just what is it? What what are the differences? That's a great question, Liz. And all of the one of the things that I love, and also sometimes makes our work challenging about working with our affiliate associations, is that they all have different timelines and different programs. Um, uh, but I would say, generally speaking, it's fairly comparable to going through a community college associate program. You know, if you're going to do a full time study to to work toward an associate's degree, that's generally going to be about two years. I would posit that a lot of people, maybe even a majority of people going through community college programs are not doing that pathway. Um, they're kind of taking them on a different schedule. Um, so generally speaking, and I can't emphasize generally enough, um, I think it's comparable, right? And so the difference is that you could be taking, um, and, uh, learning kind of on the job while also taking courses. And, and perhaps in many cases, your employer is contributing toward the cost of those courses, uh, if not paying for them outright. Um, and actually there's, 
I would be remiss if I didn't plug programs like the main workforce development compact uh, through the main community college system that is providing significant grant funding um, to participating employers across the state to support short-term training for their employees. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's I think it's pretty comparable. And so what you see happening a lot. And maybe an assessor is an example of this, maybe a clerk is an example of this, or a code enforcement officer, is you're getting somebody on the job and you are able to lay out um, a series of trainings over the next you know, couple of years after they've been hired that will ultimately lead to certification um, or you know, full qualification for that for that occupation. And so, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of places where informal apprenticeships, uh, uh, lowercase a apprenticeships are already happening, are already fairly well established without being registered um, through the main apprenticeship program. So that was it. You perfectly teed up how um, there is some hope, I think, to work to, for, to work together and have um, some, you know, municipalities possibly um, become official hosts of registered apprenticeships and and why Becky if you would start would that be a good fit if, if we're able to make that happen Len let's just take that little bit of a break and, and remind listeners that they're tuned to talk of the towns here on WERU uh, uh, Liz Graves and I are your co-hosts and our guests are Peter Osborne is the Director of Educational Services at Maine Municipal Association, and Rebecca, or Becky Dancero, who is a career center consultant with the Maine Apprenticeship Program. So now that we've done that little bit of business, please, Liz, get back to our yeah, question. Yeah, actually, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll back up a little further. Um, uh, tell us, if you would, where the apprenticeship program here in Maine when you arrived fits in the Department of Labor's structure with the career centers and and what do the career centers do um, and how do first um, job um, seekers but also employers get engaged with with the work? Um, employers or job seekers um, can go into or contact call their their local Department of Labor office, their uh, career center. Um, you know, if they contact them, um, all of our programs through the Department of Labor, we all collaborate, we all work together. Um, so if they can't get a hold of us, I mean, if they talk to um, the person that picks up the phone or the person that's at the front desk when they walk into a career center, um, that person is going to put them in touch with us. Um, of course, we like to know the different programs um, because we all collaborate, you know, if there are specific um, needs that they have, like for a uh, job seeker, let's say, um, or even an apprentice, you know, let's say um, they need help with transportation, um, they need help with um, child care, you know, there are programs out there available um, I, I always kind of feel like the Department of Labor is like a, a hidden gem, like a well-kept secret that people just don't really tap into um, as much as they should. Uh, there's so many programs out there and so much collaboration going on, as I said, um, and all kinds of grant money right now. Um, you know, there's grant money right now for people that want to get into healthcare through caring for, for ME, caring for Maine. 
um, which is a healthcare initiative, you know, for people that want to uh, really get on that career path. Um, you know, uh, the main apprenticeship program, um, we have um, incentives too for, uh, you know, employers that want to register a brand new program with us. Um, we offer, you know, um, $1,500 as soon as they register their first apprentice, and that's their money to do with as they please. You know, they can put that money into their training program, um, buy books for the apprentices, whatever they'd like. Um, and whoever's paying for the classes after the apprentice has been registered for six months, um, the whoever's paying for the classes can receive um, tuition reimbursement money for the classes, uh, whether that be the apprentice paying for the class or the employer. Um, as Peter said, you know, um, it's kind of a mixed bag and it, that's also up to the employer. But again, there is um, money available. Um, but uh, getting back to walking into the career center, um, also, I just want to, um, you know, uh, just bring this, um, you know, to the spotlight that the career centers, when a person contacts them, you know, for a need, whether they're looking for a job or whether they need help with classes, you know, there's also um, the CS CSSP right now, which if you're working towards an associate's degree, um, the person can apply for money through them as well. Um, so I strongly recommend that people, you know, look on the Department of Labor website to look at the different programs. Um, but people that are working in the career centers for the Department of Labor, you know, they are there really to help. So they're a great resource, whether it be for, you know, a job seeker, um, somebody looking for a career pathway, employers. Um, they're, they just are so knowledgeable and they know the programs that are out there. So again, I highly recommend um, using the Department of Labor as a resource. Great. So I'm going to turn the, yeah. turn the table, Liz. You're um, a relatively new um, <laughs> municipal um, employee um, in, the, in the town clerk's role. Um, what do you like working about? Uh, working in your hometown, uh, what, what is it that attracts you? Peter talked about some of the the uh, the reasons that others have done that, but how about you? What what do you like about it? Yeah, Peter Peter called it at the beginning of the show. I um, when I was a little kid growing up in Palo Alto, California, I got chills walking up the front steps of City Hall whenever I had any kind of reason to be there, which wasn't very often. But but when I did, I thought, boy, this is cool that. The government that we we govern ourselves through the grown-ups voting and and participating in other ways, um, we got to we had a children's theater program, and uh, we were honoring someone who was retiring. So someone had wrote written a cute little parody ditty for the kids to sing at a city council meeting, and so we got to sit in on a kitty city council meeting and sing our our little song. And we were of course instructed to be quiet the rest of the time, which was a challenge because some of us were pretty little. Um, but so I love the process in all ways of, um, uh, communities of folks in balancing, um, interests that are, that are not the same. It is, you know, a restaurant would like to provide music, live music for its, uh, 
patrons and the neighbor next door would like not to hear that music. That That is a thing that lots of towns discuss. And it's a thing that the Bar Harbor Town Council discussed last night. So um, I am not, I wouldn't say I'm motivated by a desire for to make things better. I'm not, I don't feel like an activist. I feel like a piece of furniture in a really good way. Functional. <laughs> Functional. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. I was going to say, I, I have something to add to that too, Liz. Great. Um, our, our program, um, our team sent me to Washington, D.C. last oh, week. Oh, cool. And um, I went to the National Youth Employment Coalition Conference um, called Youth Days. And, of course, it's revolved around, you know, youth programs and helping youth um, find career pathways. And, of course, you know, apprenticeship um, lines up really nicely with that. Um, but so the... The goal of the, the conference, for well, the first day, we attended workshops just to learn about um, different programs um, revolved around youth and, and helping them. Um, and then at the end of the first day, um, we um, were put on a team. And um, with the team, you know, I was representing an apprenticeship. Um, some of my other teammates were alumni from Youth Build which is um, funded through the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act through the Department of Labor. Um, and, you know, then there were other um, uh, people that um, work for other youth programs. Anyway, we were all on this team. And the second day, we went and went to the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and actually talked with some of the congressional staff um, you know, we couldn't talk to the congressmen, congresswomen directly because they're so busy, but we did talk to their staff and um, we just stressed to them how important it is for, you know, and I got chills just being there, of course, you know, just like you, Liz, you know, being there at the Capitol, walking around um, in, you know, our, our state senator's offices, you know, walking down the halls. Um, but anyway, um, we it was really exciting because we were talking about how these youth programs breed with apprenticeship and how important these youth programs are, um, you know, to help support youth like out of school youth. We call them outstanding youth, um, you know, for ages 16 to 24 years. And of course, you know, some of them um, have handicaps, you know, um, whether it be, you know, physically, mentally, um, some, you know, a lot of them are high school dropouts. Um, maybe they went to college for a year or two and dropped out. And now they're home in mom and dad's basement, you know, hanging out on the couch. But anyway, those youth programs are so important just to, um, again, just to help guide the youth in our country. I mean, it's a huge problem right now, like mental health um, with, uh, you know, with our youth in this country. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to just share that experience and just how exciting it was and um, just going to show once again the collaboration between the programs through the Department of Labor. Peter, you you mentioned uh, living in Jay, um, which certainly is a town in transition in terms of 
moving from the paper industry to, to something else. How does, how does that kind of thing affect um, municipal government in, in Jay? What do you observe about the changes there? Just as an example of some of the ways in which municipal government is, is needing to, to make a transition itself. Yeah, so um, not only do I live in Jay now, but I actually grew up in East Melanoncet, uh, which you know I often will say is is uh, um, uh, you know went went through this before a lot of the other um, similar mill towns that have gone through those transitions. I mean, I think the most obvious and one of the first things that folks would point to are property tax revenues, right? If you have a major employer or a major piece of commercial property in your municipality that's paying a really significant proportion of your local property taxes, um, losing an industry like that has a, can have a significant impact on that. So you do have to think differently about service delivery. Um, you know, I think our, I think the, uh, administration in the town of Jay is handling it incredibly well and um, has been preparing for and managing changes like this for many years. Um, and so I think um, some foresight can really pay dividends in situations like that. I mean, all towns are going through some level of transition. Uh, if it's not losing a major industry or or getting new industries um, and uh, commercial properties, I mean, that's a different type of transition, um, but it's still a huge transition. Um, it, it might also it might be changes in workforce, not being able to fill some positions in the town office, or not being able to provide some of the same levels of service um, that you were able to do previously. So, um, I think the the point is that change is the constant. Uh, not just in my town, but in every town. And I think good leadership really requires um, some acknowledgement of that and some preparedness for change and transition. Um, and I think the folks who are thinking about and expecting change are the ones who are going to come out um, uh, resilient and able to meet those challenges um, You know, as we're moving forward. And do you see some jobs that didn't exist um, 10 years ago and now exist in in a or in across the spectrum. What are some of the emerging jobs that we need to be thinking about uh, filling these days? That's a that's a great question. Well, I think um, there are some emerging areas that haven't quite even matured to the point of becoming jobs. Yeah, um, you know, cybersecurity is one of those. Um, I think municipalities, large and small, are um, dealing with um cybersecurity challenges that they weren't dealing with 10 years ago um certainly 20 years ago um you know so that's one area and i think that affects uh, that really affects all areas of your um of your municipality uh in the past month or so we've seen a lot of really high profile examples of quote unquote zoom bombing um where people are joining public uh, Zoom meetings as town or city council meetings and um, and uh, using that platform to make some really troubling statements. Um, that's a really tangible example of how municipalities are having to deal with cybersecurity concerns. And of course, there are numerous others that are less that are less visible. Um, and not only does that create, um, you know, will that create new positions, 
But I think it really changes uh, the way some of our longstanding positions uh, have to be dealt with, right? So thinking about clerks, for example, which are probably the longest standing uh, continuous municipal position. Um, Along with tax collector. Yeah. Yes. And tax collectors, right? Um, not just here in Maine, but across the country. Uh, so we're constantly thinking about things like election security, right? That's a very high profile issue. Um, and I, uh, bef- even before I started working at MMA, was volunteering as an election worker um, in my town of Jay um, during the pandemic. And I can say with full confidence, uh, people should have all of their confidence in local elections. Um, they're very secure. They're very safe. But um, cybersecurity challenges do do have to, and they force clerks and other municipal officials to kind of be at the ready um, and to uh, be proactive um, in in meeting actual uh, challenges that might come up to cybersecurity, but also assuring the public that elections are safe and secure here. Um, and you should have faith in your election system. So um, cybersecurity is probably one of the biggest trends that we see. Um, and that I think if they haven't already in some municipalities will actually turn into new jobs. But that's one example of how a challenge actually affects. You know, I can't think of any level of municipal government that's not affected by uh, cybersecurity concerns. I'll ask Liz that same question in just a minute, but I'll just remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking with Peter Osborne, you've just heard from. He's the Director of Educational Services at Maine Municipal Association, and Becky Dancero, who is um, with the Maine Apprenticeship Program. She's a career center consultant. And Liz, one of the benefits of having you as co-host is that (laughs) you've got the day-to-day experience of being a town clerk in, in the town of Bar Harbor, which I happen to live in served on the planning board and the select board, the town council and so on. Liz, what kinds of changes are you seeing in terms of who's working in town, what jobs are going to be emerging, and how are people shifting? I think um, um, they're learning on the job and perhaps they're expanding their career opportunities um, in the town. Yeah, so some jobs are, um, it's so... It's a little hard. I had a great conversation with our former finance director, Stan Harmon, before he retired about this, because um, some jobs are like in the private sector where you need more people if it's more busy um, in terms of building permits pulled or um, ATVs that need to be registered or, or whatever it is. But many jobs you need one and you, or you need one with a deputy. Um, one that has is beginning to emerge, and I know there are a few, um, we have had one, and there are a few in other municipalities, is somebody focused on communications, um, because both internal and external communications municipalities have a, a bit of a interesting role with the media, um, because um, we used many of us have had small town papers who appear, who are have a reporter at every meeting of the school board and the select board, and that is just not the case anymore. So, the um, in some cases, the it's important for the municipality to get information out, um, correct information out to to counter some what might be rumors going around and that will be confusing to residents, um, and certainly. Um, 
to counter, I learned about this in my clerk's cybersecurity training, miss, dis, and mal information. There are all, um, all kinds of, of misleading things that correct information needs to be provided. So that's, that was what I would be, say would be the top thing. Well, Liz, go ahead. Um, where, where else would you like to take yeah. this great yeah. conversation? Well, I just want to know. So I we pulled together the two of you for this conversation today because I heard um, Peter just helped put together a webinar for, for Maine Municipal members about um, recruiting municipalities to hire, the, to, to create these registered apprenticeship programs. And there are a couple of national organizations that um, are working on a similar program and maybe providing some support. So I was wondering if you could tell us about those. Yeah, certainly. So yes, we put on a, um, a webinar at the end of July um, for MMA members, but it's also publicly available on our website, uh, focused on civic sector apprenticeship. We're really lucky to partner with uh, Becky Dansrow and uh, the director of the main apprenticeship program, Joan Dolan, and in getting the word out to our members. Um, the two organizations, the Council of State Governments and the Urban Institute, received some funding from the Ascendium Education Group to fund um, uh, civic sector apprenticeship uh, expansion project. Um, they really were going to focus on some rural states, and so they selected uh, the states of Maine and Idaho. Um, I'm guessing potatoes were the common theme, but maybe there was something else. Um, but the purpose of the civic sector uh, expansion uh, project is to really give new economic opportunities to primarily low-income individuals in both the states of Idaho and Maine. So, um you know, the, the Urban Institute and CSG have done some demographic research on the state and have identified some areas of the state that have um, kind of higher concentrations of lower income individuals, but are also hubs of a number of services that would be um, important uh, to give folks economic opportunity. So not only do you need you know, an apprenticeship and a job, for example, but you need transportation, you need educational options, you need healthcare, you need childcare. Um, so they've identified a number of areas in the state um, that kind of meet those uh, criteria and are offering both some financial support uh, for uh, municipalities and uh, state government folks in expanding those apprenticeships as well as some technical assistance. So I'm loving the image of Rebecca of your being in DC with the with the early career folks and imagining them as uh, one of the target audiences to the hometown career media um, push that we started with the the session describing. Um, so what do each of you hope um, can can happen with connecting folks searching for a meaningful career uh, with municipalities who need um, dedicated public servants to get started. Uh, we'll start with you, Rebecca, briefly. Uh, what are our hopes? Um, I mean, I'm just, it would be wonderful to connect young people with, you know, the uh, municipalities, whether it be smaller or bigger. Um, you know, some of the municipalities that I've spoken to recently, 
um, you know, they have a aging out workforce and, um, you know, they have expressed concern that, you know, these people are retiring and, you know, before they retire, they really need to pass on, you know, their knowledge to younger people. Um, so if we do have, uh, you know, our, our younger audience listening, um, I strongly suggest that they, you know, look into what's available, really. I mean, they could go to, as I said, you know, at the beginning of our our um, our talk here, um, they could go to our website, you know, Main Apprenticeship to look to see what's on there. Um, our email is on there, too. Um, main apprenticeship at main.gov. They could, you know, contact our send an email and we'd be happy to send them information. Um, but really, we need the youth to be going into um, all positions across the board. Okay, everywhere. Great. Thank you. Turn it over to Peter. What are your what are your hopes for this project? My hope for this project and across the board is to just provide a wide variety of resilient pathways for people seeking career transitions, be it people new to the workforce or looking to make a change or looking to relocate for the state. Apprenticeship is one part of that, um, but I'd like to see healthy, thriving, resilient pathways to municipal careers. Awesome. Great. And I, I just wanted to add really quick too. So, and also apprenticeship is just an awesome um, way to go for career changers as well. You know, it's really geared towards people of all ages, apprenticeship is. Um, but the youth just, you know, because I was there last week, they come to mind. They're at the top of my brain currently. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Becky. We've come to the end of the hour. Very quick hour. Be sure and join us from four to five on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Stay, uh, please tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle. University of Maine Sea Grant program from four to five on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnane House Highland music recording. Thanks again so much to our guests in the studio, Rebecca Dancero, Career Center Consultant with the Maine Apprenticeship Program, Department of Labor, and Peter Osborne, Director of Education Services at Maine Municipal Association. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for helping to engineer our program. Stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and The Groove Shop from 6 to 8. Graves and I are producers and hosts for Talk of the Towns, and we're both wishing you a good afternoon.